Hello, welcome back to the podcast, episode 179 of China Manufacturing Decoded from the Sophist Group. Adrian from the team back on the pod this week with Renault as usual. Hi, Renault. Hello. Hi, Adrian, and uh, hi, everybody. Yeah, how's it going? It's okay. We are now into September, and the year is passing by very, very quickly, isn't it? <laughs> right, right. It is. It is. Yes. So. If you haven't heard all the episodes before, I can't believe we're getting towards 200 episodes of uh, of this podcast, Renault, but uh, go back to our podcast homepage on the website and oh, there's just so many great ones to uh, to dive back into. But anyway, this particular week, we're talking about the benefits of a feasibility study, and that's during the product development process, of course. And you're going to go into a little bit more detail about what this product development process would be for electromechanical products in particular, and then you know where the feasibility study comes in that, and really just dive into why why do we do a feasibility study? why is it beneficial? what should we be looking out for and and also the dangers of not doing one properly, I suppose as well right mm, correct, correct, basically, you know we're talking about new products here mm. right with a new product new to the world there's always um some difficulties some you know some known challenges and, and and known risks right and it's better to put the finger on these risks early on to to address them and clarify them and you know and 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 work around them that's basically the 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 idea mm-hmm. well it- Feasibility study, is it fair to say that a lot of people who are developing a new product, they maybe don't even consider this at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I would say this is typically what Chinese manufacturers uh, don't want to do. And if Mm. you go to them too early, they will not do it. And then it means that your project comes with very high risks until, you know, late in the process. And then very often these risks sort of blow up in everybody's face and there's you know there's there has to be a um, going back to earlier phases of the process right mm-hmm. and it wastes a lot of time and a lot of money and and that's also typically where chinese manufacturers just give up and they say ah you know this this product idea is 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 um not going to work you know we're never we're never going to see the end of this development we don't want to be just uh, putting engineers to work on this and and so on and so forth we just want to do production you know (laughs) so they they that's when they give up typically right Right. so we covered this before but maybe from a bird's eye view what are the phases right the six i mean typically we say six phases right other other companies say you know they might have a different different approach to this but the, the six phases in, in, in our NPI process, the new product introduction process, mm-hmm. uh, from like the idea to the product in mass production mm. are as follows. All of these phases are basically like a translation of the concept into the, like the next phase, next phase, next phase, right? Mm. So the first one, like someone has an idea, right? But, you know, oh, there's a need in the market for this kind of but for this kind of solution, you know, how, what kind of product maybe would be a solution to that kind of problem, et cetera, right? But then you need to translate that into, okay, 
is it a product? Okay, then what what is that product going to going to do? What performance? You know, what whatever. Right? If it's electromechanical product, like you know, should it be small and light? Uh, any constraint around that? Where is it going to be used? Indoor, outdoor? Uh, how is if it's electronic? Then what? You know, is it going to have to function on on, on a battery? Uh, what you know? How long? Um, if it has a RF functionality, you know, how is it going to communicate and with what, mm-hmm. right? And and so on and so forth, right? You need to have um, an initial idea, let's say. And so from a pure concept, like just an idea, to an initial product concept, okay? Mm-hmm. That that ha- that comes with some requirements, and the output from that is the. Um, a lot of companies call it the product uh, requirement document (PRD), whatever you call it, right? Initial specifications, initial uh, maybe uh, user manual. So, like, how's it going to 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 work? You know, what are the five steps for someone for for a user, right? So, just the first rough draft. So people actually uh, start to to think about this, okay? And where is it going to be sold, right? Because, hey. It's not just the climate that's different, but it's also the the regulations, the compliance requirements. Yeah. So that that's phase one. Then you go into phase two, which we call feasibility study. Uh, a lot of companies call it proof of concept, right? It, it's it's all together, but we like to call it feasibility study because it it's really about asking questions, you know, more than doing stuff. I think you do stuff in that phase. And calling it proof of concept uh, for a um, you know for a product that really has a certain function, mm-hmm. of course you want to do that if possible, if possible, <laughs> uh, as early as possible. But the most important actually is to ask all the right questions. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you trans- here you what you do is you translate the initial product concept that has. That that comes with some requirements and it's got to work like this and like that in this environment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You translate it into a much uh, much higher definition of a product. Okay, you already define the architecture. Uh, okay, you know what what are the main materials going to be? What are the key components probably going to be? At mm. least do we have a um, uh, like a plan? You know, some candidates. Mm-hmm. On, on the mechanical side, yeah, what like what are the key components? You know, what for example, is there an enclosure? Okay, is it going to be in plastic? Uh, is it going to be in aluminium? What 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 is it going to be? On on the electronic side, on the electrical side, you have some some other things. You know, same thing on the electronic side. You want to think of maybe a block diagram of the main elements and how they sort of interact, and you want to confirm, okay. We're going to do like this in with this type of architecture. Uh, we're going to use that language, that technology. You know, we're going to use this micro microcontroller or, or microprocessor, right? So, what does that mean, right? This one works okay. Oh, we need Wi-Fi, so we cannot use this one. So we need to work with that one. It's going to be much better, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Um, oh, we're going to use Wi-Fi, so it's going to uh, consume a lot of battery power. Okay, so what does that mean? How do we Try to save on on on, on power, and uh, what 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 kind of battery then is needed? Because mm-hmm. how long is it supposed to be functioning, and so on and so forth, right? So, 
you ask all of these questions basically to translate the initial product concept that came with some requirements into a much higher definition, as I say, like of basically a real product, right? Mm. That is capable of fulfilling the requirements with a certain probability. Okay. At this stage, you don't, you, you, I mean, you can spend a lot of time on this phase and tackle the risks one by one and, and, uh, and put things together and test and validate, right? But at a, there's a certain stage where you want to move move ahead, right? You don't want to to have uh, analysis paralysis, right? Mm-hmm. But for for a relatively simple product, um, maybe in three weeks, okay, done, clear, right? For a complex product with a lot of things that are uh, new that were never used on a similar product or anything like that. Uh, wow, it, it can take months and months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, I can imagine. And 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 for a rocket, you know, like uh, Blue Origin or you know Falcon Nine or all these kind of things. Well, when they developed the rocket, well, they spent years in this phase. Oh yeah. Uh, how how you know how much thrust do we need? Uh, what you know how to make sure that the the fuel doesn't blow up in our faces when it takes off how to make sure this this and this and that right mm-hmm. um so it takes years and years right and for yeah for an airplane same it it takes takes a long time and they do a lot of early planning and early simulations and computers it's very advanced right mm-hmm. including um you know for reliability right so okay we have if we have this Again, this mechanical architecture, uh, how is it going to resist these kind of, of shocks, these kind of stresses, and, and so on and so forth? You can already test a lot of things on CAD on, on the mm-hmm. computer now. So anyway, you, feasibility study is translating like the requirements for a product, but it's still a bit high level. There's a lot of question marks. you know. But you, yeah. you ask these questions, you work on them, and you translate that into... Something that with a relatively high probability is a real product that can be developed and then uh, can can be manufactured, right? This mm-hmm. is really the, the value of it. After that, you translate this plan for real product into prototypes of the real product, you know, that really allows you to validate that, yeah, yeah, you can do the way it's you know what what it's supposed to do it can look the way you know users will like uh, and uh, you know it can reach the level of performance that is needed and so on and th- that's phase 3 and then when you have a final prototype that looks like and works like uh, what it's supposed to, to 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 do you go into phase 4 which is uh, start you know really starting to develop the the, the manufacturing processes uh, planned for that etc typically fabricate the tooling uh, if 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 some tooling is needed and then you basically you translate this product that has been designed and developed with prototyping processes into a product you know still at the level of prototype sort of one by one or you know uh, maybe five or a dozen at a time but really not not, not that many uh, mm. So it's still sort of built by engineers, still more or less prototyping, but usually the all of the parts are made with production intent processes. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, like for example, yeah, the, the, if there's a plastic enclosure, it's made with um, 
uh, with, with a plastic injection mold, right? So the, um, the, the whole thing really has all the characteristics of the final product. Then you can test it and you can validate that that's okay. This product like this, you know, is reliable, is compliant, is, uh, you know, is still looking good and so on and so forth. And then you go into phase five, pre-production, you translate that into not only a product, but also a production process that is fully, uh, you know, validated, ready to go ahead, right? Maybe not with a very high yield, meaning that there might still be for a complex product for, you know, when there's some relatively difficult uh, operations, there might still be 5%, maybe sometimes even 10% uh, defect rate, right? But still, the whole thing has been proven to work, you know, Everything has been made with production and processes, including on the assembly line, including like the test stations. Everything is in place. The people have been trained, right? So, so that's that's the output, the deliverable of phase five. And then you're in phase six, where you translate all of that that you've done before into a batch of products that can be shipped out, right? So it's really translating, 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 and mm-hmm. every time you get a much higher. Like you reduce your risks, you clarify your risk, you reduce your risks, and you um, you improve the accuracy of any forecast. Mm-hmm. Also, like at the beginning, you know, people ask, "Hey, I have this idea for something, and like, you know, how much can it cost, and things like that." And we're like, "You know what, uh, crystal ball? Yeah, <laughs> what do you want? You know." Yeah maybe $10,000, maybe $100,000 to develop. I mean, at this stage, there's there's no clear view of the architecture of nothing and there's no comparable product. So there's some work to be done first, right? Mm -hmm. So back to phase one and phase two is very good discipline. Mm -hmm. So... uh... Uh, well, you you make it sound very simple. I like it. It's very uh, it, it's it's basically the whole process of going from your idea to manufacturing, as you as you mentioned. But it, people listening, they're probably thinking, "Hang on, is Renault talking about EVT, DVT, and PVT here?" So the answer to that is yes, right? <laughs> uh, phase uh, yeah. three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. feasibility study in a way is part of EVT engineering validation right. testing, right? So engineering like does the product even work? Mm-hmm. But most companies that use this framework will say, no, 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 EVT comes after all the initial product development. Mm-hmm. Like it's got to be much more than just a product concept. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's got to have been already some early prototypes and things like that. So that there has to be something before, right? And very often right. in the electronics business, they call it proof of concept POC. Right. Okay. And and, uh, and we prefer saying feasibility study because it's more than that. Like mm-hmm. If we take a step back, there's different kinds of products. Some products have to really look good, okay. And and then really the maybe not yeah maybe the main focus will be on hiring an industrial engineer. Sorry, industrial designer. I mean, sorry, industrial designer. Ie is is different. Comes way later. The industrial designer will take, again, the product concept and some of the requirements, of course, you need to document, you need to make a little bit of a brief, right? And he will translate that into an industrial design, from a concept design to an industrial design, from something that lives in somebody's brain to something that is mocked up, 
uh, that you know based on the industrial designers uh, experience with processes and materials something that doesn't have very high risk of not being manufacturable okay but so there's all kinds of industrial designs out there uh, we, so people come to us and say well yeah here and oh the design is already and everything we look at it and say well there's a big problem here um and they say no no it can be done look we even made a prototype with it mm. yeah but like your enclosure um you 3d printed it right you cannot make it with injection molding so how many pieces you want to make and they're like uh, you know uh, the one year I want to like buy batches of 10,000 pieces, etc. Well, okay, then this is not going to work. If you're going to do 3D printing or CNC machining, it's going to be excessively expensive. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. And back to the drawing board. So some designers build themselves as industrial designers, but really they are concept designers that try to make mock-ups that look realistic, but it's very dangerous. And industrial designers get to know the materials, the processes, as I mentioned, know what is feasible at a high level, right? So mm. when the look of the product is very important, this is front and center in feasibility study, okay? And you rely on the experience of the industrial designer, but also the engineers that support the, the project already. It's already, usually it's very good to have an experienced engineer to review the designs and to give a bit of uh, feedback and direction also, mm. right? Because industrial designers... Well, usually they don't live in Shenzhen or Dongguan. They're not always visiting the different factories and, and talking to, to, to factory people and see what, you know, what the issues are and what is feasible, not feasible, right? There are a few, of course, uh, but, but most of the time they're not. Mm. So who's going to be very familiar with what can be done? You know, asking an experienced engineer is one thing. Asking directly the suppliers, specialized suppliers of you know, such and such type of component also is something that, that is very interesting, very good. Uh, now, the industrial designer will produce something that still has to be translated typically by a mechanical uh, engineer or, or structural engineer into real CAD files, right, uh, 2D and 3D uh, drawings that have all the elements Right, and and not just the outside, because the industrial designer is going to focus mostly on the outside, not going to focus mostly on the inside of the product. So all of this still has to be translated into something that can be shown to suppliers. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise it looks very immature to suppliers, and they're like, yeah, you know, come back to us when you have something that you thought of a little bit further, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but typically, a supplier is going to be able to say okay, on your design here, you want to have that panel at the back of a box, let's say, and you, you, you want to make it injection molded, you want to, to be like over molded over this piece of metal, okay, and you want, to be, you want it to be as thin as possible. Well, from our experience, from what we did before, it can be uh, whatever, 1.2 mm, mm -hmm. but don't try to, to make it any thinner because then like, we probably can make it. And when you have one or two suppliers that say that, it means if you try to make it thinner, yeah, it might be possible. But, <laughs> you know, maybe you need to search for other suppliers that are capable of doing that. Or you have to account for a lot of trial and error in, in, in further um, steps of the process. So anyway, 
Mm. Take a step back. As I say, some for some projects, the pro- product has to look good. So you go with industrial design early. So some pro- projects, the main unknowns are, are um, how to make it work. Can it actually work? If it works technologically, you know, the way we are thinking here, is it going to be okay from the user's point of view? Okay, and that's where you go into proof of concepts. Uh, you hack something together, maybe with a um, uh, even a competitor's product that you you transform in some ways, and you you hide some parts of it and you know, things like that. But quick and rough, right? Because you, you you want to test the main functions and you want to get feedback on it. Okay, so so that's a proof of concept. Now the problem with that is that uh, sometimes it can be done really quick and dirty, but sometimes if you want to do something that is really not quite the same as anything on the market, you might have to do a lot of the engineering design work just to get to the point where you can test it. Mm -hmm. So for example, recently we worked on a wearable product that uh, had some sensors uh, it's like a fitness product, right? But it, it tries to 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 see, for example, the um, level of oxygen in in the blood. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, but it's anyway the form factor is very specific and so on. So you actually have to do all of the, the software design to uh, to work with the sensor, and then you put it in that form factor, and then you can test it, right? It was a bit difficult in that case to do a um, pro- proper proof of concept very early on. In some cases, you have to spend quite a bit of time before you can do it. That, But uh, whenever you can, you have to, to really try to do it quick and dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some some other cases, maybe um, there's big, big risks with compliance. You know, oh, you want to do that kind of product that does this for that market? Well, what exactly are the compliance requirements? Oh, you know, the product has to do such and such. And we have to ensure that we have this and this, whatever, safeguard and so on. Okay, <laughs> how to do that, right? And sometimes that's a big part, big part of the work. And then here, I'm just talking about the, the technical side, right? Mm-hmm. And the supply chain side, like talking to suppliers, you know, looking for suppliers that seem to have the capability and the experience and so on. But also... Remember, the point is to think of the biggest risks and tackle them. So on the marketing and sales side, you try to get these quick and dirty prototypes that you hack together or, or, or just maybe just render it, digital renderings. And you have to do the work of actually going to typical target users that you have in mind showing it to them, briefing them about, okay, it's supposed to be like this, like that, you know, and getting some feedback from them. And if they say, oh, you know, this is great. When can I buy it? Oh, um, for a hundred bucks. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll buy one and maybe another one also, right? (laughs) That, That is early validation of the process. And if you do that right, you can already take that to investors and show them, hey, there's something here, right? But it, a lot of people make a mistake. They think that they have to have a final final prototype 
that at least looks good enough to put on, on, on Kickstarter, you know, to start to talk to investors, to start to, to raise, you know, various kinds of funding. And that is really, uh, yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's a very big mistake that a lot of people have made, right? So feasibility mm-hmm. study is not just on the technical side and supply chain side and compliance side. And, you know, uh, it's also on the, um, on the marketing side, definitely. Right. Yeah, a lot to take in so far. So you've kind of introduced what the feasibility study is and where it belongs within the MPI process. By the way, if you want to visualize that six phase MPI process, I'll leave a link to um, some of our pages on the website where we've got this really nicely designed graph that sort of outlines each process as, as we go through from idea to production. You just mentioned one of the mistakes to avoid at this particular phase i mean did, did, are there any more that we can that we can outline for the listeners in terms of mistakes well basically the biggest mistake of all here is the just do it syndrome yeah or uh, clive clive greenwood who's been on this podcast a few times calls mm. it the go uh, go syndrome just go you know but then no people have to stop and you have to think, mm. right? If you go ahead with your, when you dream up a new product, everything seems possible, you know, yeah. things start to click in place and you're like, oh, you could be this and that and it could uh, communicate with an app and there would be something on a server to do some analysis and alerts and there would be this sensor like this and this sensor like that. Oh yeah, this can can work, of course. There's a lot of products that do this and a lot of products that do that. So definitely can be done and if you had your own team okay usually when companies do their own development in-house right so, so some of our customers they, they 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 do that they have their own teams in-house and maybe for specialty engineering they reach out to 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 outside companies but they do the bulk of the develop design and development themselves right mm. when they do that and they really come up with a new concept, they will tend to take it step by step, step by step in a logical way and think, okay, what, you know, if we make it like this, like that, but how to make sure we don't spend a lot of time and so on, right? Usually the engineering manager or the CTO or whatever, you know, is 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 trying to think, hey, I, I don't want to look like a fool in front of, of everybody, right? I um I don't want to go down a path for, for five, six months. And then tell them, oh, well, we have to do a deep redesign. <laughs> so usually they do a feasibility study. They do, you know, proof of concept, prototype. They do take their time to do proper uh, industrial design, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know, there's something that clicks in a different way in people's minds when they say, I'm going to outsource that. When they don't have the engineering uh, capabilities in-house, well, that, that means they have never really collected uh, really a lot of experience also about the proper process of developing a product, right? Because it's always done by subcontractors. <laughs> so they don't necessarily see everything that happens. They don't, they don't really learn. Um, yeah. So in that, in that case, what do they say? Well, look, I have this brief about the product. I have this sort of idea. Now, next step is I want a prototype. You say, wait, wait, okay, what, what is it supposed to look like first? Oh, okay, okay, industrial design. All right, now we have nice renderings. Look, we know exactly what it's supposed to, to look like. 
and um, and I told you the way it's supposed to work. So just do it. You know, go go ahead and make prototypes. <laughs> and 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 then they say, well, we we want to show it to some uh, big customers, maybe, but it has to be a nice prototype that works and looks nice, or we want to do a Kickstarter, Indiegogo Kickstarter on it, or we want to do whatever. We want to show it to some investors, right? Very typical. So what I want to get to the next step is a prototype, right? So something clicks differently in their mind. They're like, they focus on the prototype and then they pay for a prototype. And then they have, you know, some engineers work on it, going straight on prototypes, right? Or if they go to a, um, a manufacturer, which by the way, is usually not a good idea. If you want to develop a product from scratch, you get to go to manufacturers with a relatively mature design, right? But anyway, that's another topic. Yes. Um, so you 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 fall victim to this just do it syndrome, right? Mm. And then you you spend money and time and you wait for the prototypes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you find out, oh, oh, you know, too bad. You know, they, they can't make it to work properly the way it's supposed to work. You know, how come the early prototype was okay? So everything was fine, right? We already promised uh, things to the big customer. Mm-hmm. We already booked a trade show, uh, a booth on a trade show. We already did this and that. We already promised to the investors, right? But then it comes back to bite them in, 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 the, in the bottom uh, because they've skipped the feasibility study. Mm-hmm. And we... We have so many examples of that because a lot of projects come to us a bit later in the in the phase, right, where uh, they already have prototypes and everything, and they feel confident and they want to do design for manufacturing, right, DFM, and really translate that into proper uh, design that really can be manufactured, and, and then work on the tooling and the test stations and so on and so forth, and 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 the certifications and so on. So. Mm. And then very often they skip the feasibility study and they don't want to go back to it, right? So we have to kind of twist their arm a bit. Hey, come on, you know, you know, you, you get to tell us what performance level or what, right? Because the prototypes, we don't even know how to test them. We don't really know what you want. So we can make some kind of checklist, but it should come from you, at least some high level direction, right? Because sometimes they talk to the engineers and the designers, but they never document anything. So that that that's a typical issue, lack of documentation, right? We we did a um, podcast episode with Andrew um, a few months ago about that, where mm-hmm. people go agile and you know, but they they don't document. Everything keeps changing anyway, so why document? You know, but then you, <laughs> it really becomes a problem because then how do you do quality assurance? But mm-hmm. at one point you have to do that, right? So we 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 push them to do that um, and to document certain things. Okay, good but they really don't want to go back to a feasibility study, right? For, for example, a very typical example happens several times. Product one, the, the product is relatively small and is enclosed in metal, right? And it has Bluetooth. It needs to communicate with the phone, okay? <laughs> you know, think smartwatch kind of thing, or right? there's a lot of products like this. Sure. The, product, the, the problem is, as soon as you have metal, a metal enclosure, how to send Bluetooth out, right? So you need maybe a stronger antenna or you need the antenna to be positioned in a certain way that, you know, there's no metal blocking it or whatever. But the, 
people have spent maybe six months designing and developing the product and they go into you know design for manufacturing final testing and it's cut at that time mm-hmm. and then it forces a redesign right okay let's go back to changing the shape of the um of the enclosure let's change the antenna but then if we have a different antenna then it's going to have an impact on on this and this and that and and make some changes in the firmware and so on and so forth so you you have a redesigned loop that might waste maybe three three months of time, right? And it sounds expensive as well. Oh yeah, and 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 it pisses everybody off. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. but it, the the big customer, the whatever the the investors, I mean, they, they lose a lot of faith in the project. It's like, mm. well, you don't really know what you're doing, right? You told me you were confident, and now you you're several months behind, and you cannot even explain why, right? That, that, that's a typical problem. All of these things should be caught earlier on, right? When someone says, well, let's pick this microcontroller, but it, you know the product has to be all of these custom functions and everything. So, okay, there has to be a lot of firmware, a lot of software. It's going to, be, going to be embedded in this MCU. So what's the memory of this MCU? Oh, the memory is very limited. So that's a risk right here. How to do all this firmware development and everything, and keep the, its its size to to a very low amount, so it fits in the memory, right? Or um, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to send information by Wi-Fi or by Bluetooth, something that consumes energy, or it's going to do I don't know. There's a little fan or some some mechanical action. Okay, it's going to drain the battery. So, but you want a very small battery <laughs> because the product has to be very small and light. Mm, okay well proof of concept let's try you know uh, or, or let's do some theoretical calculations simulations right mm, difficult or okay the 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 product is going to be that shape and you know for example the, yeah, the product we, we, we're working on like they have to be uh, stacked up and it could be stacked up five or six uh, on top of each other Oh, and each one is like, uh, you know, 40 or 50 kilos. Okay, so how to make sure it's not going to break, right? Yeah. So there can be there can be um, uh, simulations in, in CAD software. This is relatively common, right? So sometimes you, 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 you get away with a simple simulation uh, and then it shows you, okay, a lot of the stress is going to be this, this pot, this area here, this area here. Okay, maybe let's make it a bit stronger. Let's see now. All right, should be fine. No problem. It can withstand up to whatever, 500 kilos. So it's fine, right? Or, so yeah, another project we're working on is some kind of, okay, like think of a a big smartphone or a tablet. Mm -hmm. And it has some ports, like, you know, like a USB port thing, something like that. And they say it has to be IP68. Right, so water resistant, but you know, to an advanced level, IP68 yes. is pretty. Um, it's not just splashing, right? Is that really dr- putting it in in water with a certain pressure for a certain mm. amount of time? Very few electronic product can pass IP68. Right. So, <laughs> as soon as the requirements are put on paper, it's like whoa, whoa, whoa! What is that? IP68. Okay, so 
the other products that are IP68 with this kind of you know, opening, how do they do? You know, let's let's study that, right? Uh, how how do they do? Oh, Apple has that special patent about how they do that. Okay, but then we cannot do the same, uh, and and so on and so forth, right? Mm. If you don't catch that early on, then you you do all the development, and now that's another one of our projects that we 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 were brought in way later in the process, but they they, they work with um okay, a, a design house and then a, a manufacturer. And they did not really document properly that they wanted their product to be IP67, water and dust resistant. So then mm. they have some prototypes, they test, they say, oh, you know, it doesn't really pass. If it's used in that kind of environment, water comes in, that's a big problem. We told you it's IP67. Manufacturer is like, huh? When did you tell us? Nice. Uh, this should have been uh, documented in phase one and studied in phase two. Uh, there's a, like a complete breakdown of of their 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 processes here. So uh, IP67, IP68, that's uh, reliability, right? Withstanding the stresses of the environment. Uh, and there's a lot of lot of topics about reliability. Mm-hmm. Also the loading, right? Of what I mentioned before, the the feet has to resist. They have to resist a lot of weight. Well, mm-hmm. when people say it's got to be outside, it's got to be you know in the sun, it's got to be okay, okay, okay. Wait, is you know what climate is it going to be sold in? What is it going to be like uh, rain, snow, whatever, hail? You know, uh, a lot of sun, uh, UV rays, of course, uh, damage certain materials pretty fast. What exactly does that mean for the materials and for 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 the the whole architecture of the products, right? So if you don't pay attention to these kinds of things, ouch, you're up to um, how to say very very painful uh, realization of, of of that mistake later on. Yep, setting yourself up for a fall. I mean, we we've said time and time again on the podcast in different ways that the preparation part of the MPI or new product development process, if you like, is just so important. And 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 that Chinese manufacturers and probably other manufacturers from other countries in Asia as well, maybe, but but specifically in China, they like to rush into mass production as fast oh, yeah. as possible. Yeah, but we should not I really don't want to blame Chinese manufacturers no, no. here because very often, it's the whatever we call it, right? Inventor, mm. initial like con, you know whatever concept designer, uh, buyer. These guys want to go fast, mm. right? And they don't understand. They don't have a lot of experience usually with developing new products or that kind of products. So very often they are overconfident in their ability to think, okay, that can work, that can work, right? They 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 underestimate the difficulties, and there's a lot of a lot of cases like that that failed very publicly, right? Uh, when was that? Um, maybe a couple of months ago, we uh, we wrote something about uh, some crowdfunding failures. Yes, and well, it's it's a bit painful, of course. Uh, I don't want to be, uh, you know, the, the people who 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 push these projects or, or 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 one of the backers, of course. It's a bit painful to to look at, 
but it's all out there in public. And the big ones that raised a lot of money, you can see not only the promises they made and like the, you know, uh, the, the products, the way they presented it and uh, like the, the, the comments to, to the backers. Oh, yeah, sorry, we have this problem. We have that problem. We mm. were late. Oh, now we are one year late, etc. But the big ones, you also have some uh, newspaper articles, right, uh, about them. So there's a lot of public information out there. And if you look yeah. at them, when they fail for technical reasons, usually it's because feasibility study was uh, was skipped, right? So, mm. for example, the first one we mentioned was the coolest cooler. And That's the, the benchmark, cooler, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And this one was, they raised 13 million US dollars. Mm. Okay. That was a huge one. I think it was um, in 2014 or 2015. So they have something that they're really good at marketing it. And they really push probably on Facebook ads and everything. Yeah. And they raise a ton of money. And then it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Basically, they took a cooler, like something where you put beer, let's say, for a, maybe a beach party or something. Mm-hmm. And then they, they had a huge battery. And then you, they, okay, can do this. You can do that. Like you can... You can crush the ice, and you can uh, you can recharge all of your phones, and it and and it's, it's waterproof, and blah 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 blah. Right? It's got some light, so at night you can just light everything up, and and yeah, it's got like beach tires. <laughs> mm. Okay, crazy stuff, right? And a lot of people say, "Oh, this is great, I want one," but the problem is, it was totally. Infeasible, totally infeasible, right? Mm. Uh, and then they said, "Oh, yeah, sorry, we have difficulties. Like there are manufacturing strikes, and there, the U.S. tariff suddenly came up, and uh, blah 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 blah. And we tried to switch to another factory, and uh, blah blah blah. Right? But the problem is they they had not picked the right uh, components. Mm. Um, they had to to probably change some of the materials also." Uh, they, they had not validated the whole product was working properly. They just made a prototype that looked cool to take some photos and make a video for Kickstarter, right? Yeah, it was, it was, too, it was too ambitious. They just tried, they clearly tried to do too much. And I mean, that's the very definition of a product that was not actually feasible. Yeah, 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 right. Again, just just do it. Just do, mm. do it simple, right? And there's several others like this, but it, you can always point to the issues and say, hey, wait a minute. This should have been cut. Like if it's design, uh, you know, technical issues or uh, component s- selection issues and things like that, this should have been cut, right? Mm-hmm. Um, usually there's, there's a combination of two, um, th- there's two ways to look at it. One way is to say they did not do a feasibility study early on, and that they they uh, how to say they went in the wrong direction because they did not see the risks. Yeah. Another way to 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 look at it is to say, well, they made some prototypes, but then they thought that it was okay to go direct into manufacturing. They kind of skipped design for manufacturing, and in some cases, that's true. When technically, really, it was feasible, just not exactly the way they designed it, right? Yeah. 
So maybe they um, maybe they, they they should have done a, a DFM review, design oh. for manufacturing review before they they decided that the prototype was okay for Kickstarter. Uh, but most of the time, the issues are much deeper, much deeper, and then it's a problem of the feasibility study that was skipped or seriously botched. Yeah. Um, Okay, so before we wrap it up then, if the listener's thinking, well, okay, I want to start thinking about my own feasibility study, I guess the best practice would probably be to kind of do what the big guys do, right? So do you have any tips about how large companies do their own feasibility study uh, that, that we can sort of take away? Yeah, of course. Some of the tools... Right, so some tools are very widely used, mm. and big companies in general have been forced to look around and say, "Okay, how do we upgrade our our, our processes? How do we make sure that we, uh, we 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 avoid mistakes and so on? How do we make sure that we uh, we can have a regular and reliable launch schedule and so on?" Right, so mm. they look around, they look at best practices, and then they they tend to to go to the same kinds of, um, of, of best practices, right? And mm. a few very common tools, and we can look at the automotive industry, for example. They, they've been pretty good at that. They've been okay. doing that very uh, very seriously for, 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 for more than 30 years, uh, at least. So we, we talk about thinking about risks, right? So design FMEA. I think we, 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 um, we covered it before in this podcast, actually. Yes. Yeah, with, I think with Andrew and you talking about that, but at the design stage, early design stage, you start to think of the risks, what might go wrong, right? And what what you know, what's the probability, what's the impact, what are the highest sources of risks, and um, and and what <laughs> you know, what can we do to mitigate it? So mm. that that's a good one. Also, when we're talking about um, uh, risk analysis, the the FTA fault tree analysis is more top down. It's more like, okay, what are the big problems that can happen, and why? You know what what leads to them. So, for example, if you, um, I don't know, if you if you design a boat, and uh, and you, you you think, okay, if there's a fire on the boat, I mean, it's there's a huge problem, right? People have to abandon the boat like pretty fast. So. What causes a fire, right? So there's, there's got to be oxygen. It's got to be a some kind of ignition, and it's got to be fuel. Mm. And uh, okay, so how do we make sure that you know um, none of these uh, happen, you know, as much as we can, right? So you start from from another angle, where process, uh, sorry, design FMEA is more bottom up, thinking of all the results, the bad results that might happen, or the the things that might go wrong, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Apart from that, it's a good idea to also do QFD, quality function deployment. So I was mentioning before, you know, we translate, we translate, we translate, right? Every phase is translating into a more advanced status of the product, right? That's closer to a product that can be made in mass production. Uh, deployment is the same idea, right? So what mm. is basically, what does the market want? Okay, these attributes they want. Okay, so what does it mean in terms of product? The product's got to have these functions, this kind of performance. Okay, so what does it mean 
for the manufacturing process and the selection of materials and everything, right? So you you um, it's like a simple template for that. It's not it's not simple. It's not easy to do, but it's relatively straightforward and simple if you look at the, the template, right? So you know the certain tools like this, um, and then basically forcing the design team and the, the sourcing team and everybody to already produce some um, some deliverables, right? An initial bill of material, an initial uh, brief about compliance requirements and how, you know, what 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 might be a challenge. Um, an initial plan for the product features, but also the, the process features, as I mentioned, right? Uh, what, what kind of process is needed, et cetera. An initial evaluation for the manufacturing process, okay, how mature are the, the manufacturing processes? Is there a risk that we're going to have a lot of issues, right? Um, or we're going to do whatever. Um, we're going to have to do to, to have this silicon part, and then we're going to want to add some kind of coating or, or painting on the silicon part. Whoa, 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 you know, step back. It can be done, but it's very, very specific. You know, is, is, it, is it something that can be done with a very high yield? Right or, or because if there's fifty percent reject, well, uh, it's going to be pretty costly and it's going to slow everything down, right? So you you push people to do some studies and to have certain deliverables, basically, yeah. And you have a plan for for you know how on the quality side, how are we going to verify the products? Um, what kind of testing stations? What kind of jigs and fixtures, etc., are going to be needed? And so on and so forth. So you force a lot of early planning. Because when you plan, it takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of, of, of money because you have to pay people to, to do it, right? But usually it's better to put a certain amount of, of, of time in planning to reduce the, the mistakes down the road, right? To point yes. to these mistakes and point to what is necessary and really give the right direction to the, to the, the, the design uh, after that. Right? Oh, so, 100%. Um, basically... Um, that, that's how bigger companies do uh, the, the the feasibility study. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. So that's really given everybody good guidance into what the feasibility study is, why we use it, what happens if you don't use it, and indeed some best practices if you're thinking of implementing your own feasibility study pretty early on in your new product development uh, process. So as as you've mentioned, that process uh, again, that's going to be in the show notes, so you can actually visualize that. And uh, as ever, if anybody listening has questions about feasibility study, do get in touch. You've got the options. You know where they are. Those are, those are in the uh, podcast information as well. So with that, Renault, let's wrap it up. But uh, thanks for sharing that with us today. All right. Thanks. It was a good one. Thanks, Adrian. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sophiest.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.